This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Book of Acts again in chapter 20, left off there a couple of weeks ago. You'll find that on page 930, Acts chapter 20. So good to see you all and welcome to any of you who are visiting here with us. We were looking at the qualities of Paul's exemplary ministry, and, and uh, this morning we want to come to the very last one of these qualities in verse 32, is confidence in God and His Word. So I'll read a beginning at verse 32, but that really is our focus. I'll read there to the end of the chapter. You remember this is Paul's farewell speech to the elders from the church at Ephesus. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, and you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is... The word of the Lord, quite a scene, huh? Lord, we do pray yet again for your spirit's work in each of our hearts. We so need you, Lord. We're so dependent upon your word of grace to do a work. And you who know each of us, those who have gathered here, those who are uh, watching online or those who would hear this message later, minister, Lord, to each of us for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, have a seat. Well, the the world is once again in deeper trouble, and uh, I know most of you are aware of that, what's going on in the Ukraine, lots of uh, disturbing images coming by way of videos or uh, photographs, especially nowadays with uh, these smartphones. Uh, You can see some of the things that are going on, the suffering, some of these poor people. It reminded me of one of the most uh, heart-wrenching and memorable photos uh, capturing the desperation of the Afghan people just last year when the U.S. military pulled out. I don't know if you remember, it's got very iconic now is a picture of that father handing up his baby daughter to an American soldier over a wall and uh, razor-sharp barbed wire, handing up his daughter as the soldier pulled uh, this little baby up. Uh, he handed him off to someone who he didn't really know at all. But I think what he believed, what the father believed, was simply that his child, who I'm sure he deeply loved, would have a better life in the hands of this person to, who to him probably represented several things. That 
that moment of intensity probably represented to him uh, liberty or opportunity, maybe even just plain survival. This was happening, remember, at the airport there in Kabul and at those closing moments, and it must have been a terrifying moment. That photo just really captured that, that, uh, that heartfelt sort of desperation of a father saying, I'm handing you over to maybe a better life, you know. And I, I say that because it kind of captures, I think, the heart of the Apostle Paul here in this sense, in, in that this is his farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus, whom, like the father at that moment at least, uh, he, he thought he would never see this, his daughter again. I understand, though, he did. Um, but here's Paul in that similar moment. Uh, he's convinced he'll never see these elders again because he knows and believes that the Spirit has told him that he faces persecution in Jerusalem and, and beyond. And so what does he do? It says that he says, I commend you. He hands them over, uh, not to a stranger, but to God and the word of his grace. And that, that word there, uh, to commend, means to entrust. It, it literally means to entrust something or someone to someone else for safekeeping. And so Paul was entrusting them, he says, into the hands of God and the word of His grace. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that Paul likes to use, and he uses it about the gospel. When he would write to Timothy, uh, he would use that word many times. For example, in 1 Timothy 1.18, and in fact, Timothy was at the church at Ephesus. And Paul says to him, regarding the gospel, he says, this charge, the charge to keep the gospel and stay loyal to it, he says, this charge I entrust to you. Timothy, I'm handing it over to you. I'm placing it in your hands for safekeeping. And then in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, he says to him, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the gospel, right? Entrust, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Put it in the hands of others for safekeeping. And that's what Paul's doing here. But he is not entrusting the elders of the church at Ephesus to some stranger out of desperation. Out of faith, he's entrusting them to God and to the word of his grace. That's what verse 32 says. It must have been quite a scene, huh? And quite a moment to hear Paul say that and to feel that, the weight of that. Um, the danger in Afghanistan and Kabul was the, t the Taliban, right? And um, what these people were experiencing. I read also that some British soldiers, soldiers uh, shared the story about as they were leaving, um, mothers tossing their infants at them, tossing them to them as the Taliban was coming upon them. So the danger in Afghanistan was that, the Taliban. What was the danger here that so impressed Paul that he said, I'm handing you over to God. I'm entrusting you for safekeeping to God. Well, verse 29 says that the dangers were, was one... Uh, one of the dangers was wolves from outside who would come in and wouldn't spare the flock, verse 29. But verse 30 also says that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing from the inside, among them own selves, among the elders. Look at verse 30. From among your own selves, and I, most scholars take that to mean the elders, not just the church, will arise men speaking twisted things to what end? To draw away the disciples after them. In other words, make them their followers and divide the church. And, and so that was the danger that they were facing at the time. 
Again, that must have some impact huh, on a group of men to hear from among yourselves. They're going to rise. Uh, some who will divide the church and so forth. And what this verse teaches us, we're looking at verse 32. What it shows us is that Paul's hope for the health and the survival of the church, beginning with the eldership itself, was ultimately not with the elders themselves, but with God and the word of His grace, as he puts it. And why is that? Well, on one level, because the best of men are men at best, and elders, pastors of any local church, like the church of Ephesus, like our church, elders will come and they will go. I mean, there's, there's life cycles. That's just the way things are. But Paul believed that God was the ultimate watchman on the tower, so to speak. The, the ultimate uh, overseer of the church, beginning with the shepherds themselves. He is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And so he's reminding the elders, I think, and they needed to re hear this. Even after they heard about this trouble, he's reminding them that they're not alone. That they don't shepherd alone. And that there's one who cares for them as well as the whole church. The chief shepherd, he's the ultimate watchman. The one building up the congregation, caring for them. Sometimes when the discussion of the plurality of elders as a New Testament pattern, sometimes as that comes up in discussions, the question comes up, and that is, who shepherds the shepherds? Well, on one level, they are to shepherd each other, one another, but ultimately, the reality is that we have a chief shepherd, and elders are under shepherds, servants uh, of the flock, servants of the chief shepherd. That's deeply encouraging to me. That's why I can sleep at night, <laughs> because I know, ultimately, that there's a watchman who sees what I can't see. There's a watchman who knows what I just can't possibly know. There's a watchman who is the searcher of all hearts, you see. And you, you must get yourself in that mindset as a pastor that, that uh, early on, you are not the Savior. <laughs> you are not Jesus. Uh, you serve him, and he's, he's watching over you as you watch over them, and he's watching over the whole flock. And, you know, uh, those who feel the weight of the care of the church must know this and believe it. They have to be convinced of it, that shepherds have a shepherd. But, of course, there's a broader application here. It's true that Luke records what Paul is saying to the elders, and he was literally at that moment commending them, entrusting them into God and the, His Word of grace, but uh, what applies to them, that is the, the care of God through His Word of grace, that applies to the whole church. God does the same for you as He does uh, for the shepherds of a local church. So, Again, that's um, something I hope that encourages you. Um, the, when we... Um, started this church, uh, we had what we called back then in those early days uh, a cassette ministry. You guys ever heard of that? Yeah, <laughs> a cassette ministry, and Keith Davis knows all about that. Uh, and on the one side of the, the, the label of the cassette, it would have the title of the sermon, but you flip the cassette over, and there would be there Acts 20, 32. And I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those 
who are sanctified. You see, I memorized it because it was on every cassette, you see. <laughs> but that's an encouraging word, and I hope that you hear it as such <clears throat> this morning. The question is really, and this is what we're explore together, the question is how does the chief shepherd care for the whole flock and in a special way he's focusing here on the elders, the pastors of the local church? Well, the answer is right there in verse 32, and there's something interesting there about the grammar, the syntax, uh, and most, the majority of the New Testament scholars, what they see in there is what's called a hendiadis. And hendiadis is when two parts of a phrase represent one concept. When two parts of a phrase represent one concept. In other words, he is not saying two separate things. He's not saying, I'm, I commend you to God over here, and you know what, I'll also commend you to the word of his grace. I could have done one or the other, but I'm going to do both. No, what it means is this, is that he's commending them to God who, has, who is active and works through the word of his grace, you see. In other words, you can't separate God from the gospel. If the gospel is communicated and something happens, it's because God was at work through the word of his grace. And if you say that God is present and he's going to work in someone's life, well, it's he will work through what? Through the word of his grace. He will work through the truth, you see. And so that's the idea here, this, this idea of two, two separate uh, phrases that really are speaking uh, or representing one concert. And so the, the hope that Paul has and the assurance that Paul has is this, that the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is divinely at work, active in and through the word of his grace. And doing what? Building up and giving an inheritance. Those are the two things, right? Those are the two primary affirmations of this text, that when we are entrusted to God and the word of his grace, he can do two things through that. And the first is this. God is building his church through the faithful preaching and teaching of the gospel. That's the word of his grace. I think that's what the word of grace refers to, right? Um, the gospel, you know, is a word about grace. It reveals the grace of God, and it brings the grace of God to people. A Luke... Uh, as referred to the gospel as the word of his grace already in, in this book of Acts in chapter 14, verse 3. He's speaking here of God's saving grace, God's saving favor. He could have said that he entrusts them to God and to his word. And, and that's it. And, 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 and it's true that the word of God, just like that, the word of God uh, is helpful. It, it builds us up. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, right? It's inspired and profitable, and profitable uh, for teaching and so forth. But he doesn't say that. He modifies it. And this has been used, again, before in the book of, of Acts. Here. There was, Luke wants us to understand that Paul was specifically talking about the word of God, not just as some collection of, of Bible facts. But the word of God communicated in such a way as to, as to placard or make visible and communicate the grace of God. The grace of God, the saving grace of God, which comes to us through the person and the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. And so is, it is his word 
revealing grace and bringing grace. It's that word that energizes believers, that edifies them, builds them up. It strengthens believers. It motivates believers. And as such, we need to, to remember that. Uh, uh, there are, there's a lot of content in this book. And uh, we are not ashamed at all to affirm this. We're not ashamed at all or hesitant to affirm that when you read this book, there's a lot of duties in here too, right? There are duties presented, commandments presented. Uh, we just read Psalm 119 together from it and referred there to in part to commandments. We should never be hesitant to, to affirm that there are duties here. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've received and so forth. It's just abundant everywhere. But, beloved, you see, disconnected words, disconnected commandments, things cut off from the word of His grace do not motivate, empower, energize, and ultimately build up the saints. It is the word as related to God's grace, His divine favor, and how it works through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's the word of His grace, not just some quote out of one of the Old Testament, uh, you know, list of, of genealogies. It is the word as related to Jesus and his person and work. Uh, one of my uh, roles in the seminary uh, is just that, is to convince young would-be preachers about the difference between simply knowing about the Bible and teaching from the Bible and preaching the word of his grace. Uh, I have only two, two main classes at the seminary. One is the Christian life in which we, we talk and go deeply into how grace works in our life. We, you know, we, we have a condensed version of that right now here in our discipleship all these years. But my other class is called the Christocentricity of the Scriptures. And in that class, it's this discussion of how this whole book can relate and must be related to Christ because Christ himself says as much. And your duty isn't simply be to be some Bible fact dispenser, but be a minister of the new covenant in Christ. <laughs> and sometimes I will exhort them, especially those who have this bent. Some of them are simply bent towards the imperatives. The Bible. And I will say to them, you, 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 seem, you, get, you get animated easily. You have a lot of energy when you come to the do verses. Why are you so tepid when it comes to the done verses? Are you ashamed to preach the grace of God and Christ? Or does preaching imperatives give you a psychological power over people? Are you a minister of the new covenant? And it comes as a shock to some of these young men, depending on their backgrounds, where they come from. And so Paul says, I entrust you to God who's at work in and through the word of his grace. That word that communicates how God's grace comes to us through Jesus. And it's that word that builds us up. And Paul loves that metaphor of building, right? 
He loves the metaphor of the church as a building and of growth as a process of building, right? Of being built up. He uses it all over the place there. You see there some of the verses I provide for you in the outline and and the foundation then of this building and how this building, which is the church, is built up is through God's power. The power comes from God. The power comes from God, but the power is mediated through His his word of grace. And that's how the body is built up. And so it is God. He, the Spirit, illumines the meaning of the word. He sustains faith in his word. The power is God. He produces conviction and repentance and then, and then leads us to Christ, you see. That all comes from him. He, that's God at work through the word of his grace. It is God's power that, that dislodges our affections from things that are passing in this world and places our affections on the things that are eternal. It is God's power uh, working through the word of his grace that renews our mind and changes us over time. You know. It's not splat in a moment, but it's, it's a process over time, all the power comes from God, but it comes through His Word, His Word as handled by His servants, right? What did Paul say? He said, I planted, what did he plant? The Word of His grace, the gospel. Apollos watered, what did he water? He watered the Word of His grace, but God causes the growth. Yeah, God causes the growth, and that is a wonderful thing to see, to see the fingerprints of God when something grows, right? When someone grows. I know it's frustrating to look at your own life and uh, it's easy to, uh, to, to not see what God's been doing in your life, especially since our memories usually are focused on what we're, where we're at right now, what we're going through right now, the difficulties or, you know, yesterday's loss of patience or shouldn't have said that. But if you could see somehow where you were when grace found you and where you are, you would be able to note, you should be able to note, every Christian should note that there's been progress. Building up, right? Building up. Over time, it is a process and the power comes from God through the word of his grace. Sometimes it begins just with illumination, seeing something you never saw before. You said, man, I've read this thing for 10 years. All of a sudden today, it makes sense. You had that experience, all of a sudden you go, wow, okay. Or you, you've been a Christian 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden you say, man, I'm selfish. I'm selfish. But you never saw that before. You never thought that before. But today you do. <laughs> and it's the Spirit's conviction saying, you know what? You're a bit selfish, man. <laughs> and then sometimes you look back and you say, you know what, I lived like that. Praise God, I'm not anymore. That's, that's being built up, you see. That's growing, growing, maturing. And you grow and mature by the word of his grace. And nothing's more beautiful than that, seeing that. Wonderful to see in the lives of some people. You know, I, just, I get to see it being here now some 27 years. It's great just to see it in many of you and some who've gone on, you know. And I, I think one young man who came and uh, he didn't stay in this congregation, but he came he kept coming to the Grace School of Theology, and I watched them over the years, teaching him these things. And then 
few years later, he reaches out to me and says, I'm at this church up in Washington, and hey, I'm going to Master's Seminary now. I feel a call to the ministry, and would you come meet with me when you come down to L.A. and visit, and I meet with him some more, and then uh, he writes again later and says, hey, I'm getting married, and, and then a little bit later, hey, I'm being appointed to pastor it. Would you be willing to, could you be involved in, in my being appointed? To, I remember him when he came, you know. And now he's in the ministry. That's beautiful, you see. And God uses human instruments to do that. So when Paul entrusts the elders to God and the word of his grace, he knows that, that, that that word will come through them to others, to the church, but they must first of all build each other up with the word of his grace. They, they must drink deep of the gospel truths, otherwise they won't have anything to give to other people. Um, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, again, this very congregation, remember the majority of them were not from a Jewish descent at all. They were Gentiles, right? And he says to them, remember where you came from. You were outside and now you're in. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 to them. Uh, where should I start? I'll start at verse 19. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Aliens to the promises of God, the covenants of God, all that. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have full membership in God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, he's now talking about the, the new covenant church, the people of God, he says, the whole structure being joined together grows, present tense, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, one living stone upon another, into a dwelling place for God, the place where God lives, the temple of God. How? By the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the power is God's, but the instruments is being built together. And later in chapter 4, he'll say that it was Jesus, who is now at the right hand of the Father, who, verse 11, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and, listen, the shepherds, teachers, like these elders, right? Pastor teachers. To do what? To equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. To what end? For building up. There it is. Building up the body of Christ. So we all contribute. The church is built up. The elders are built up. All of us are built up into maturity, into a spiritual dwelling place of God. And we do it through God's grace, which he ministers through each and every one of us. And when each part is functioning, we're growing together. Uh, and your speech has a lot to do with it, you know. The word implies what? Something has to be said. The word of his grace. Communicating the word of his grace, the gospel. This is formally doing that, right? This is a monologue, right? But the word of his grace comes through you. All week long, <laughs> dialogue with each other. That's why he concludes chapter 4 to the Ephesians this way. Verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk or speech come out of your mouth. Don't, don't say things that tear down, but only such as is good for building up, edifying. There it is again. 
as fits the occasion, that it may give, you guessed it, grace. <laughs> that it may bring, now, it's not that your words are gracious. That's true. It should be, right? But it's that your words are communicating or giving the grace of God, demonstrating, explaining God's favor towards this brother or sister for them in Christ Jesus, one way or another. Um, you have the power because you, I mean, not intrinsically yourself, but you have that role to play as the power of God comes through you. And that's why he says, listen, let, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Don't talk like that. You're, you're, you're living stones. You're supposed to be building each other up. But he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you all contribute. Well, I'm convinced that we will survive because the church has survived since, <laughs> since Paul had this tearful goodbye on that beach 2,000 years ago. The church survives from one generation to another, from one season of change to another, from one challenge to another, if we remain committed to what? Communicating the word of his grace. Because <laughs> that's where the power comes from. The power of God to keep us walking with him. Well, Ephesus struggled with that to some degree. You know, a few decades later, you have Revelation chapter 2, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And it says that they were doctrinally st strong. So that's good, but somehow they had lost their first love. May that not be the case here. So God is building his church through the faithful preaching and teaching, communication of the word of his grace, his gospel. And secondly, verse 32 teaches that God promises and grants, gives an eternal inheritance for his church, all believers, by means of the same word of grace, of his grace, the gospel. What's it say again? Look at verse 32. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Remember, God working through the word of his grace is able to build you up. There's the first point. And second, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And it's interesting that he's addressing the elders here, the pastors. Uh, what I mean is this. Sometimes you kind of you think it might be presented in the reverse. In other words, God speaking to the church and saying, hey, you get, you will inherit uh, uh, the same glory that lies ahead, just like your pastors, but no, 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 he's, he's talking to the elders and he's reminding them of their place, which is where? With, equal with the body, he says, and he, he's, God's able to give you, pastors, even you, 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 you that are troubled and having difficulty with your role, he's able to give you the inheritance among all the others <laughs> who are sanctified. Kind of like, guess what, pastors, and you get to go to heaven too, you know. I think it's a healthier, it's a more humble approach to, to leadership. <laughs> to understand that, right? Uh, and so that's just the point to make there. It's, this inheritance is granted. It's both promised, of course, and granted through the word of his grace. Uh, what is an inheritance? Well, 
Legal inheritance refers to actual property or goods received after a family member's death. That's the most common understanding in our, our own system. Actual property or goods received after a family member's death. So your great-grandfather dies and you inherit the old, that old Chevy he's had parked in there forever. Good news, it's worth a million dollars now. Okay. You inherit, right, this something he's passed down to you. Well, the Bible, the Bible is rich, very rich in its usage of inheritance as a metaphor, as a picture of a spiritual reality. And it's a bit different. In biblical theology, to inherit means to receive an irrevocable gift. To receive an irrevocable gift, something that can never be taken away, never lost. And in biblical theology, the emphasis on that is, in, is on the special relationship between the benefactor, the giver, God, and the recipient, the heir, you see. Now, in the scriptures, in the narrative of the Bible, we know the giver is God, and he, he gives by his grace freely, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the forgiveness of sins, right? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of God. In the Bible, in the narrative, there are four main characters who are heirs of God's gracious gift of an inheritance. In the Old Testament, it finds its root in Abraham and the promise made to him and Israel, the seed of Abraham. In the New Testament, the emphasis, though Abraham remains, it, it gets focused upon Jesus and the saints, believers in Christ Jesus. And so it all begins with the promise made to Abraham and what we call, we call the Abrahamic covenant, right, in Genesis 12 and 13, 15, and 17, expanded and so forth. And there we learn that uh, Abraham and his descendants, the promised seed, were promised to inherit the land of Canaan and so forth. And, and then as the biblical story begins to unfold, it begins, the narrative begins to explain to us, begins to show us uh, that the heirs of this promise are more narrowly defined. It's not just every Jewish descendant, every physical descendant, I mean, of Abraham, but there's something more going on here, you see. We start learning that it is a believing remnant among the Jews. And then we start hearing about people from other nations who have like faith and so forth, who are brought into the covenant promises which are expanded in the new covenant and so forth. People who have faith like Abraham. And then we come to the New Testament and it's as if this, this, this sort of unfocused vision all of a sudden gets crystallized and focused and we see that the promised seed of Abraham is really one glorious individual. The seed, singular, of Abraham, Paul says in Galatians, is Jesus. He is the true heir of all of God's promises. And as the, 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 the heir becomes more narrowed, it is Jesus, the inheritance becomes 
more expansive. It began in the Old Testament. You hear things that are more than simply the land of Palestine. The nations, the world will belong to the seed of, of Abraham. And yes, he is the promised seed. He is the true son of God, the true Israel. Jesus, the king of glory. In Psalm chapter 2, it's the Psalm of David. And he writes, ask of me, verse 8, this is the Father, God the Father speaking, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. He's speaking there to the Son, who is also the King, whom he's enthroned. Yes. And the ends of the earth, your possession. That's what the true seed will inherit. Not simply a smaller piece of land in the Middle East. When he's installed as King. And then we saw, if you remember, remember 2019, we went through the book of Daniel most of the time. Uh, we've all lost a lot of memory since 2020, I know, so don't worry about that. I don't expect you to remember all this. <laughs> but back when life was more normal, we looked at Daniel. <laughs> and in chapter 7, you remember, he had this vision. And in this vision, there was one like the Son of Man who's presented before God Almighty. I'll read it for you. Daniel 7, 13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. Yahweh, the Creator God. And to him, to this son of man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, right, and languages should serve him. It's very expansive. And his dominion, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so while we read the Old Testament and we hear this promise of a great inheritance, on one level we understand that those who see a, a literal fulfillment in some degree to Jewish descendants in the time of the millennial kingdom, that God's intent is much bigger. That ultimately, through the air, through the seed, there's going to be an inheritance of the whole earth. And so Jesus is the key to all of this. He's Abraham's true seed. In fact, the book of Hebrews refers to him very directly. You need to see this in your mind, that he is the heir of all things. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, it begins like this, remember this, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son or in son revelation. He spoke through revelation, through prophets, but now it's son revelation. He has sent his son as the greatest revelation. He says, whom he appointed, here it is, the heir of all things. Yes, he is the divine Son of God who is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. And then in verse 4 he says that he has become much superior to angels. Because some people are having problems with looking at angels as, as bigger and better maybe. He says he is as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited 
is more excellent than theirs. And what is the name that Jesus, the Son, has inherited? The heir of all things? He goes on to quote the psalm. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And he is a Son whom the angels were worshipped, says verse 6. Let angels worship him. And he is the Son, verse 8, who is also king. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so, yes, we see what? We see that there is an inheritance that comes by God's divine grace and favor. It is, it is an irrevocable gift. It has been promised through the prophets. It was given to Abraham. It became more focused uh, through the people of God, but became very focused and now and clear that the great heir of all things uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then what about us? We are joint heirs. Joint heirs with Christ the Son. Because in Him, you have also become a son by way of adoption. And so you possess what He possesses. That's what Scripture teaches. Romans chapter 8. There's where Paul says that we are fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. By virtue of what? By virtue of having been born again and you spiritually united with the heir of all things, we become joint heirs. Of all things. It says it this way, Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, He gives us this inner conviction, assurance that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Our path as joint heirs is the same path as his. This age, suffering, glory to come. So you are an heir of this great inheritance. It's promised to you. Um, but you are in a time of difficulty first. And like the heir of all things, we join him in suffering now. And then we enter into our inheritance to come. Uh, and so because of this marriage with the, the heir of all things, we have this promise before us. You know, The whole earth, the come, the new heavens and the earth is your inheritance. It's like something that's in escrow. Escrow hasn't closed. But, you know, you did a little drive-by. You saw the house. Somebody showed you some photos. You're excited, but you're still not there in 3D dimensions, you know. But it's yours, you see. And someday you're going to enter into it. Scriptures goes on. In Galatians 4, 6-7, Paul says, because you are sons, remember, he applies that to men and women. Men and women. Why? Because sonship in their time and their culture was a lot more than like, let's do a DNA study to see if, you know, he's really you know, of his blood. Sonship had to do with sharing the nature of a father and the vocation. Most 
sons did what their fathers did in their time. You know, Jesus was called the son of a carpenter. And in the Gospels, after Joseph has died, he's called Jesus the carpenter. He shared his father's vocation in that. And when Jesus is called son, in that larger sense, it means that he is God-like, right? He's God. He shares God's vocation and calling. And we, men and women, are adopted sons. And so that's a way of conveying the fact that there's equality in terms of our inheritance and our standing before God as male and female, right? And so he says, again, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father, just like he says in Romans. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir through God. You may not look like someone who owns the whole world to come. <laughs> but if you're in Christ, you are an heir of the world to come. Hebrews 9, 15, he is the mediator, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And then Titus Titus 3, 5 through 7. I want you to see the link here between your justification, which is what? Your standing before God as not guilty by having the righteousness of Jesus credited to you by grace through faith. Your justification leads to, is the, naturally leads to an inheritance. Listen to Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, there's the new birth, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, here it is, listen, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When you believe in Jesus, you are justified. You are declared not guilty, forgiven, and you become an heir of the promised inheritance, the hope of eternal life. Well, I hope you're beginning a sense of how big all this is, right? In Ephesians chapter 1 Again, the letter to this very group of people among the elders, they would, have heard, they would hear him say this, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Then down in verse 13, 14, Paul says, In him, again, in Christ, in Jesus, you also, here's how it happened, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, we might say the word of his grace, when you heard it, but you didn't just hear it, you may have heard it a hundred times, but when you heard it and believed in him, when you believed in him, you were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. He is God's pledge to you, right? Like an engagement ring. His pledge to you, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so God has given you the Spirit, brother and sister, as that guarantee, that down payment to you that everything 
that comes ahead, the inheritance which we're going to expand on here is all yours through Christ Jesus by His grace now. Think through that. That's just a tremendous thing to reflect on. But you need to be justified in order to have the inheritance. And I'm here to tell you yet again, you can only be justified through the word of His grace, not through your own efforts. And that can be threatening, disturbing at times to people who think they can by their own efforts. Because you're being told you're never going to be good enough. And you could either get upset by that, as many do, insulted by that, or you can awaken to the fact that you need God's grace and mercy. Humble yourself, confess your sin, put your trust and faith in what God has done through His Son, which is endure what you will get if you do not repent. He has... He, he became the propitiation, that is, he absorbed God's wrath on your behalf when he was crucified. He was buried and raised the third day, and that you will be justified. And having been justified by your faith in him, you are now a joint heir. A joint heir with the true heir of all things. And, and what explicitly is that inheritance that, that you and I, if you're a Christian, have ahead? The hope of eternal life, he said. The hope of eternal life. Our inheritance is this broad, full, glorious scope. Try and get your, your head around this. It is eternal life in fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the new heavens and the new earth through and in a new resurrection body in which you enjoy, we will enjoy unfettered communion with the living God and with our brothers and sisters who will be there with us, a fellowship, a communion, an, an interaction that is undistorted by sin. And you become an heir of that experience which is going to be ultimately on the, on the, in, on the new earth, a whole new creation. That's how vast it is, you see. Life without end in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth. That's just, don't just hear that. <laughs> I want to jump. <laughs> you know, we can hear that and, and not reflect deeply enough on it, huh? And it's my prayer is, may God just keep taking us deeper into our reflection of that because what it does is it helps you it helps you it helps you let go of things in this world be they be they taken from you or be they given by you it helps you understand why it's more blessed to give than to receive why because you are going to inherit the whole earth you are joined heirs with Christ and I know many of you have suffered the loss of things over these last two years and loss of relationships, you know. Devastating in some ways, you know, to lose sometimes a 20-year relationship over the stuff that happened over the last two years. And some of you have lost work, you've lost businesses, you've lost many things. But understand that you are going to inherit 
everything with Christ. Just help your mind and heart focus on that. Go deeper. You know, right now, people are being murdered in Ukraine. People are being slaughtered over a piece of this earth. And I know it's more than just dirt. It's, it's for all this stuff associated, right, with geopolitics and all that. But the point is this. That's nothing compared to what you own already as a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ by His grace. He has made us, Paul's, uh, John says, Revelation 1.6, He has made us a kingdom of priests to reign with His Son. Think of that, huh? And I know, again, it's such a, po- such a broad concept. It's, <laughs> it's hard for it to, to... It's hard for you to get a picture of it, for me to get a picture of it, and for it to impact our heart. But I will tell you this. The closer I get to, um, to the end of my life, you know, you, f- you think about it in a different way, you know, and you will think about it in a different way the day you bury a loved one like me. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not abstract theology. It's just the rubber hits the, the, hits the road, and the question comes to your mind. When Jesus spoke to Mary and Martha, your memory said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? And it's like God says that to you and me as we suffer, or we get older, it's like moving towards a waterfall and I'm going downstream. Feels like we're picking up speed. <laughs> and I'm actually hearing the falls now. <laughs> when you get there, you know, that question comes to your conscience. I am the resurrection of the life. Do you believe me? Well, here's the good news. If you are in Christ, He only not only gives you not, not, not only does the word of his grace promise you this, but what if, what's Acts 20, 32 saying? Give you the inheritance. That's more than simply describe the inheritance to you, or promise the inheritance to you. You know, yeah, here I got some documents. It's escrow. It says I'm promised it, but see, the grace of God not only reveals what God has in store for you and me, it is his grace that is able to Enable you to enter into it when it's all done. He will give you and me that inheritance by the power of His grace. And it's the word of His grace that that sustains you to that point, you see. That's how it works, you see. What keeps keeps me united to Christ? Well, we're told uh, what connects you and me to Christ is faith. But my faith sometimes feels weaker. And I know some of you have come to a point in your life, you maybe even asked yourself this question. Do I even really have faith in Christ? My faith feels really weak. I'm entertaining a lot of thoughts that are in denial of Christ and so forth. Now, if somehow... If somehow your entering into this great inheritance was based on was based on your holding that commitment by the strength of your will, 
some of us would be lost. But it is the word of his grace which is able to build you up, give you spiritual muscle in your faith, and grant you the inheritance, you see, at the end. Bring you safely into his kingdom. I tell you, I wondered when I buried dad, will I finish well? Will I die well? I thought about Psalm 39 and thought, it's so strange to think my last day is already written. And he knows it. And I'm clueless about it. <laughs> kind of involves me. I like some insight here. <laughs> but no, it's... But what he lets me see, and I want you to see, is that though I may stumble and fall, and we're going to trip over each other, and you're going to offend me someday, and I've, I'm sure I've already offended you, we are going to arrive safely at our inheritance and enter into it because of the power, the sustaining and keeping power, ultimately of the word of his grace, which builds up our faith and sustains us. I want you to listen to the way Peter, the apostle, puts it so beautifully. First Peter chapter 1. Just listen. Just listen to these beautiful verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, I have the same hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I know my inheritance is okay. Thieves can't break in and steal, said Jesus, and moths can't destroy. But what about me? Am I okay? It says that that, uh, that that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, you, brother, sister, who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith. Yes, he strengthens your faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And when you and I see it, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. You ever, I know some of you have seen these kinds of shows, you know, where they fix up people's homes. Ah, you're all laughing, so you've seen them, yeah. You wish it was you, huh? <laughs> you know, where they commit, they're going to fix your home, they're going to change it all up, and these people, you know, usually it's a couple, right, and they, they don't let them see what they're doing to their home, and they describe how they're building it, getting it all ready, it's there, right, waiting, kept for them. And then comes the end of the show when they, they just sort of unveil it, right? They do it in different ways. Sometimes they blindfold people. Sometimes they put that, you know, like that huge billboard thing, and they open up, and the people, all the people go, <gasps> right? No one goes, what? <laughs> oh, come on, really? <laughs> they all, and I don't know if they were forced to. I don't, t don't take me there. But what do they at least show us? That all of them go, whoa! And some of, us cry, some of them cry, right? They just, they can't believe that great inheritance. But Paul says that eye has not seen nor ear heard. And he can't even describe with words what God has in store for you and me. And he will hold you fast. He'll bring you there. 
through the word of his grace. We're going to sing this song. When I fear, my faith will fall, fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And then you know the refrain. He will hold me fast. Say it with me. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Well, as we, as this congregation ages, and this happening before you in living color right here, and the batons of ministry get passed. Um, it's up to you, the younger generation here. Um, I keep having to say this after every time I say something like this. I meet with people after service. No, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> this is, we're all getting ready for what's natural. <laughs> you, the younger generation, you will persevere and you will bear fruit and as long as you remain committed to keeping the main thing the main thing, which is the word of his grace. And he will hold you fast and build you up for years to come.